In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Formula E World Championships fan base hit new heights. So why on earth are they making it a paid sport to watch? Ah, oh, it's a very good question. Well, your career has seen a huge variety of different presenting jobs. Become well known for your coverage of electric vehicles. They told me about this new racing championship called Formula E. I thought that sounds really rubbish because why would you want to watch quiet cars go around a racetrack? We probably have more overtakes in one race than Formula One has had in the whole season. Formula E is not a replacement for Formula One. Just because you have another child doesn't mean you love your first child any less. When you had your first child, that it would affect your career in any totally. way. Totally. It's it's. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard. Um, I've had to go back to work way earlier than most people would. What's been one of the toughest challenges you've overcome? Wow. Um, the next few months were hard because uh, then I had sleepless nights being like, oh my God, have I done the right thing? This is really difficult. Nikki, a familiar face to many on the TV for motorsport and automotive viewers from around the world. I'm sure you'd be recognised by a lot of our audience. However, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? Who am I? I think I'm still trying to work that one out. <laughs> uh, so my name's Nikki Shields. Um, I have been a motorsport presenter for, um, gosh, at least 10, 12 closer to 15 years um i am sort of the host of formula e the fully electric racing championship but i've done many different forms of motorsport over the years um i'm also a mum of three little ones uh currently what have i got three under five so you can imagine life's a bit mad at the moment yeah we've just watched <laughs> you flying around coming out of the house to get out here get in the van and kind of at least you've got an hour and a half to kind of switch off a can little a bit quick, and have some zen moments. Yeah, can I have a quick nap? Although I'm not sure Very quite quite what Nikki's children thought <laughs> watching her get into the back of a soundproof van. But other than that, <laughs> mummy! They just went bye-bye. <laughs>
If I asked you to think back and in hindsight, select a moment from your youth or when you were growing up before you knew you were going to be a motorsport presenter or where you've got to today that made you fall in love with what you do now or set you on that path and journey. Mm. What do you think a, a moment would be? I don't think there was ever one particular moment. However, I think just obviously the reason I love my job and the industry I work in is because I love motorsport and have that passion. And that's been um, something that, you know, comes from the heart because when I was growing up as a child, um, my mum calls it the house of trouser, which is basically we live in a house where all we do is talk about cars and watch motorsport. <laughs> so my dad was really passionate about it. And so naturally I became passionate about it too. And I think for me, it's so nostalgic watching the F1 on a Sunday afternoon because I used to just kind of like cozy up to him on the sofa on a Sunday afternoon and watch that together. And that was our kind of special time together. Um, I did lots of different things with my mum, but like that was the quality time I had with my dad. And watching that, I thought it was, you know, amazing, exhilarating, what a cool sport to be in. And always thought one day I would grow up to be a Formula One driver. Um <laughs> Little did I realise to become a Formula One racing driver. Uh, you've probably got to be in the cart from about five years old and uh, put a huge amount of effort, money um, and yeah, focus on it. And clearly I was not doing that. So I was a little bit naive, I would say, when I was younger. But uh, the realisation that I wasn't going to be a Formula One driver kind of sunk in probably when I was about 12, 13 and realised that I probably should have spent every weekend at the karting track I did a bit of karting but not to the same extent that you, that you need to do so yeah it was just always a hobby always a passion never ever ever a career never thought I would be working in this industry and it's quite cool to hear that instead of just kind of watching the racing and taking it in from a digital perspective so in your youth you were actually getting involved in it you were physically out on carts and going racing and getting involved yes. paint, paint us a photo of or kind of like a picture of what that would have looked like when you were younger um I think I was just always very competitive probably still am <laughs> um and so whenever my dad would be like right we're gonna take Chris to the casting track my brother be like, well I'm coming too I want to go faster than him <laughs> um so I think that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to go with them just to be competitive and try and win uh so that was one side of it and then I guess we used to go to Brands Hatch quite a bit to watch like British touring cars and things like that so that's so your dad was totally consumed by loving motorsport racing and you kind of got brought along in that whole life. And you said you mentioned you had siblings as well. Where did you grow up? Yeah, grew up in Twickenham. Uh, not too far and, uh, from here, Yeah, though. not far at all. Uh, so, I mean, I was literally born in Hammersmith. I was actually born in the same hospital that I had my children and that my husband was born in. So that just shows how wild we are. <laughs> but I, I like to think that I sort of travel around the world, um, but then home is always in the same place, which is lovely. So before you were traveling around the world, what was your first job? Um, my Oh my God, well, what do we call first job? I mean, my actual first job when I was about 13 years old was working in the local pharmacy on a Tuesday and a Thursday from 4.30 to 6.30 for two hours in the evening after school. And I earned three pounds an hour. Cha-ching. So that was six pounds an evening, 12 pounds a week. They say London pays. something or other. Over, yeah, exactly. Over the course of the month. And 
I just sort of just tapped away, just, you know, saved a little bit each time. And um, yeah, but that was my first job. My first proper job was when I left uni. I really randomly worked in the city. I got a job as an equity finance trader looking after the Scandinavian markets. <laughs> that was my first job at UBS. <laughs> so I, I was going to ask, were you quite intellectually kind of okay growing up were you the kind of top of the class were you kind of theatrical did you enjoy performing kind of what were those bits that from an educational perspective growing up i'm trying to kind of get everything together to understand how you've got to where you are today yeah. being a broadcaster someone that stands in I front know, of the random, camera isn't it? under pressure <laughs> get there? yeah we're hearing about you <laughs> managing scandinavian markets in london <laughs> So uh, I, yeah, I mean, the reason I got that job was because a mate of mine did economics at uni, my best mate, we were going traveling. They were like, apply for an internship. It pays loads of money and then we can go traveling afterwards. So I thought, okay, good idea. <laughs> so literally, that's what I did. Got an internship and then they offered me a job at the end. So I thought, oh, I can go off traveling around the world and come back to this really well-paid job. So that's how I ended up going into the city. Again, it was never really a plan. <laughs> It was never what I wanted to do. It just happened. And most people search for that thing that one day is going to give them the amount of money that they need to be able to to do something and kind of climb that ladder to get what they want. I almost think in some respects it can be even harder when you're in a position that you're actually earning good money to then go off and pursue what you want to do because it makes the yeah. decision really difficult. So how does that person end up as a broadcaster and presenting Formula E? It was really hard, actually. So um, I yeah ended up working in the city doing this like crazy job. I am not a morning person. I had to be at my desk at 6.45 every day. Like that was, that was the hardest part of the job. <laughs> um, the actual job itself um, was quite good fun. And I quite like the sort of the exhilaration of, you know, like responding to the markets. You're kind of, it's... it's bit different to live tv but it's in the moment it's not about writing decision making presentations to pitch in three weeks time and we'll get a decision in five months i mean that's just sounds very boring but um yeah anyway so sort of having to respond to the markets i did really enjoy it however um it was never an industry that i wanted to go into and i always remember this is a defining moment there we go you asked me a defining moment and i've got one i was offered a new job at a different bank, which I had applied to, got the role, got the contract through, negotiated this great salary that I was really proud of. And then my mum said to me, I remember over the phone, I called her. I remember exactly where I was. I was on Carnaby Street. I spoke to my mum on the phone. I was like, I've got this new contract. She was like, ah, oh, well done. Are you excited? I said, no. <laughs> she was like, well, why are you doing it then? Like, if you're not excited about your new job, what, what's the point of doing it? And I was like, well, you know, it's considered in most people's eyes like a really good job. Um, it's obviously difficult to get a job like that. I should be thankful that I've got it and it pays really good salary. And she was like, well, if, if it's not what you want to do, then you shouldn't be doing it. And so I don't know whether that was the right advice <laughs> because all my friends in banking are probably going to retire any day now with big houses and lovely Ferraris in their garage. But that's by the by. <laughs> so anyway, I made the decision to actually uh, call up this employer and say, actually, um, I've had a change of heart. And then I went out into the big wide world and started deciding what I really wanted to do. And that was 
work in broadcasting as a science communicator because I went to Bristol University. I studied biological sciences. That's where all the like um, wildlife documentaries are made. It's where the National History Units are based, which does all the BBC, David Attenborough programs. That's what I really wanted to do. Wow. There's quite an eclectic mix of different stuff there from finance to understanding the sciences behind like TV and productions yeah. like that. And then you've ended up in motorsport. There's like three completely <laughs> conflicting things yeah. going on there. But what I kind of get in the picture and sort of building together is that you're quite an analytical person. Yes. Um, <laughs> I imagine there's brain. <laughs> definitely maths brain and a brain and a great uh. deal of detail. However, for such an analytical mind to make a decision to just not do something that was in front of you with such good returns and numbers when you didn't actually know what you were going to go and do. So how did you get a first job presenting something in motorsports? Um, so, well, let's say th- the next few months were hard because uh, then I had sleepless nights being like, oh my God, have I done the right thing? This is really difficult. What am I doing? Yeah, I've got no experience. And also, obviously, when you've got no experience, you've got to accept jobs that pay rubbish money. Uh, massive credits to my now husband, boyfriend at the time, who was like, don't worry, you know, come and live with me. You don't need to worry about bills or, you know, paying rent or whatever. Just give it a whirl for six months, see how it goes. If it doesn't work out, there'll be a job, you know, for you somewhere in the city if that's what you really want to do. So that was sort of the um, olive branch, is that the phrase? Yeah. Um, that made me go, okay, let's let's see what happens. And then I know I've tried, right? And then I won't live to regret any decisions. So I was like, right, I've got to go for it for six months. And um, I did all sorts. Couldn't even tell you what my first job was. So, so you're you're sat there with six months ahead of you, a yeah. blank canvas. Yeah. And sometimes things happen when you're moving and busy, but sometimes it's really difficult to make things happen when you're thinking about making them happen. Yeah. Almost like the whiteboard in front of you. So what was your first moves into deciding kind of what you wanted to do and, and then how you did it? So it was, so I always knew I wanted to work in like around science and the environment. <laughs> Again, never thought about cars. That was still just a passion. I've just that made another just a, connection now. That was just the, the hobby, you know, at the side. It was never um, an industry I was going to work in. So I was like, I did science, biological sciences at Bristol. Let's go down environment, wildlife, sustainability. Cool. That's what I want. Electric cars. Well, exactly. <laughs> that is the next piece of the puzzle. Um, because I then got some experience hosting a sustainability series. It was sort of um, branded content. Uh, and it was amazing, actually. We tracked this guy. He did an expedition to um, Antarctica. And we were doing, like, live chats with him every day. It was a little studio show. Um, it was called Willis Resilience. Um, and, yeah, it was amazing. Amazing to be part of. But part of that... We did a, I mean, it wasn't even a whole show. I think it was literally a VT, like a three-minute piece on the future of electric cars. And that is also one of those career-defining moments. Well, your career has seen a huge variety of different presenting jobs, and you are a frequent face now of ITV, Channel 4, and various other platforms. But you are very well-known, or have become well-known, for your coverage of electric vehicles. Yes. Most doubtly, just not just because of the private companies and work that we've seen you do, but also the work with Formula E. Yeah. You know, the, that great big juggernaut that seems to be moving forward at the minute (laughs) but it's amazing to then understand how that connection is made how somebody 
ends up there and it could be through things that you'd never think like studying of biological sciences at university would end you on a Formula E grid enjoying your passion of motorsport and it all coming together the bit that I can't seem to get my head around is how you end up in front of the microphone doing the broadcasting part (laughs) where does that fit in so um having done this sort of you know future of electric cars did a big interview with Renault they told me about this new racing championship called Formula E I thought that sounds really rubbish because why would you want to watch quiet cars go around a racetrack like you know F1 is my passion that's noisy <laughs> give me big engines um so I thought I thought oh well, good luck with that see you later and then went home thought about it that evening and thought well do you know what I do love motorsport but I can also see the purpose of Formula E you know ultimately we are going to have to move in that direction so I very much saw the future of Formula E in, in the direction it was heading so decided to get in touch with the production company and at that point obviously I had enough um, presenting experience from I'd actually already done a little bit of Goodwood already um, so I'd done a bit of presenting in motorsport to help them kind of you have the yeah. perfect voice for Goodwood as well. <laughs> the, the revival, the race. I could just hear it. I could hear you over the tannoys now, <laughs> dressed in the most appropriate outfit on the lawns presenting that show. I don't think there's a perfect <laughs> presenter for a show if I've ever seen one in my life. Can you just Goodwood. remind Goodwood that, please? Just so they make sure they book me again next year. <laughs> um, no, so, yeah. So I'd done a bit of motorsport presenting. And also in the... I guess in my first meeting, actually it wasn't my first meeting, it must have been like the second or third, with the sort of board of Formula E, the production company, and they were interviewing me and, you know, I, they asked why I should, um, why they should choose me. And I gave them a lesson in how a lithium-ion battery worked and did it on a little board and showed them how the chemistry of that worked. So they're like, oh, okay, so she can talk about motorsport and she can talk about the science behind the battery technology in a car that's why the science degree was important because that got me the job but you thought even yourself at the beginning who the hell is going to watch this and even me fascinated to talk to you about formula e today when i was doing my research last night the fia formula e world championships fan base hit new heights in 22 23 up 17 percent year on year to 344 million views with 225 million viewers tuning in over season nine's Formula E international fan base increased. So it is now the fourth largest motorsport and it's just about to overtake NASCAR. Okay, great. So why on earth are they making it a paid sport to watch? Ah, it's a very good question. Well, I feel like I think the reason is that so it's mo- so Formula E is basically moving from we were on Channel Four, um, which is obviously free to air, and we're now moving behind the paywall to TNT or have done. We've had two races this season, and I think the thinking behind it is obviously TNT is a, a tailored sports audience. Channel Four, you maybe are tuning in on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. That is a very general audience might not really want to watch Formula E. They probably want to watch something else. Who does watch Formula in the sense of, do you think it's, 
does somebody with an electric car watch Formula E to justify why they love their electric cars or no. because they love electric cars? No. Who are you finding gets into the sport? Why should I give Formula E a go over Formula One or make that the extra time to watch and view? Um, because we probably have more overtakes in one race than Formula One has had in the whole season. Okay. There you go. <laughs> That's one reason. So, so give me give me a rundown of how and, and a rundown for the audience and people that love their motorsport. Uh-huh. Give me some bullet points. Formula is about thirty four to forty lap racing. Yeah, very good. The batteries last around about that long. Yeah, even at, even <laughs> e- even at full chat. And how many? Where have you been so far this year? Because it's already up and running, right? Yeah. So we've already raced in Mexico City, uh, which is same location as the F1 circuit, just a slightly um, different layout. Uh, 40,000 people there, huge audience in the stadium, like sellout crowd, incredible atmosphere. Like the Mexican fans are undoubtedly the best fans in the world. Um, We had a great race there. Then two weeks later, we went to Saudi Arabia for a double header in the, it was a night race, so two night races, Friday night and Saturday night. Looks fantastic. Again, atmosphere is amazing. Obviously, we're in Saudi. You can imagine the production that comes with that. You know, drone shows, Backstreet Boys playing in the evening, Adrian Brody, Helena Christensen on the grid. Like, it was incredible. The racing was properly nail-biting stuff. Now, I would love, just if anyone watching or listening, if you just go and watch one Formula E race and then put in the comments below what you actually think. Because I promise you, the racing is amazing. It's wheel to wheel. There I, are so I many have, passes. I have heard that. I've heard a lot um, of people. It's just about the perfect attention span. Let's be honest. Who doesn't have a little nap sometimes in the F1? Just a quick dose. Um, it's like, yeah, 45 minutes. And they're the best races in, you know, some of the best races in the world. Former F1 drivers, Le Mans winners, Ford and Druids champions, DTM champions. They're like the best. So does does Formula E race because Formula E is a good sport then and because it's fun and engaging and everything that you just spoke about into why we should watch Formula E race? Or does Formula E race to be there for sustainability and for the future of electric vehicles? Um, I think both. Like, you know, Formula, Formula E's got to be there to entertain. And, and, and also, just as a side note, Formula E is not a replacement for Formula One. You can, it's like, you know, just because you have another child doesn't mean you love your first child any less. You know, Formula One will always be there and the love for that will always be there. Doesn't mean that Formula E can't have its own place. Um, so it's not like one or the other. You can you can watch both and be fans of both. Um, they just have different um, attributes, just like my children. They're different people. You present with Karun Chanhot, who is also yeah. frequently on the telly screens of Sky F1, who yes. I love as a presenter he's as well. Absolutely and brilliant. I'm pretty love sure he's brilliant. a real big fan of both points as well. Yes, true. Now, does this mean that after seeing one of your electric vehicles outside on the road and also knowing that you're quite passionate about that world, are you an advocate for the world of electric cars? I mean, I've got to be, right? It's like... Don't get me wrong. I know I am the same as you. I would love a noisy V8, V10 any day. But ultimately, we do actually need to think about the planet at some point. We, and, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but having been in Mexico, where it is one of the most densely populated um, city, or Mexico City, one of the most densely populated cities in the world, their traffic is horrendous. If you walk down the street... You feel like you're inhaling 60 cigarettes. It is disgusting. I've been to India, which we, is similar. 
we are getting very used to how lucky we are that in cities in the UK, the air pollution is getting so much better. And there's only one reason for that. You know, obviously the cars are moving towards either hybrid or electric zero emission at the tailpipe so we you know there's just no there isn't a choice but that doesn't necessarily mean that that i that's a very valid point about the fact because you actually as you mentioned you've always been in london that's been your base despite the fact you've been lucky enough to see all parts of the globe with your eyes and can kind of come back to it so you are noticing a change in london with the air pollution 100 percent, absolutely do you know you don't you no don't no think? no I, I don't live in london so oh, it's quite so, i've never yeah. never heard anybody actually talk positive because when they, when people talk about the ulairs yeah people there's just it's oh, all negative it's all just, about it's all the, just negative you never actually hear mm-hmm. yeah. anything to do with it being yeah. good so it's the first time yeah. you're like whoa okay i was expecting yeah, someone to just destroy that yeah <laughs> but the <laughs> no it is so i think it's it's obviously it's a long journey and it's small increments so you don't notice it instantly because you just get used to the change. But yeah, if you're then taken out of the situation, you go to a city where pollution is really bad, you're like, oh, actually, we are making a difference here. I think because one of the arguments will definitely be EVs are technically dirtier to build than normal vehicles. And if you take the US, the typical non-luxury EV needs to log up 70,000 miles on the clock before it actually sees a benefit Which over the that? production of a petrol vehicle. You may name manufacturers. Probably a mid-end, mid, mid-market mid <laughs> Tesla. But <laughs> I see the point with the air pollution, but there's a point that someone that understands <clears throat> uh, as much about batteries as you do will also know that they have to be mined from somewhere. Yeah. And then what happens to them when they're done? Yes, absolutely. But do you know what? We are like at the very, very first stage of this... And there are some incredible mines. I've been to a couple of universities that are already, they've found like alternatives to lithium. We're not going to have to use lithium ion batteries forevermore in an electric car. There are alternatives. Um, it's like the everyone says, oh, but you know, if you're charging your car off the grid, you're using dirty energy. And it's like, well, actually, no, you can charge off the grid only when it when the grid is using green energy. So you know that the energy you're putting into your battery is green. So again, it's it's just like all these small things. Of course, it's not perfect because we're at the we're at the very start of this journey, but we've got the brightest minds in the industry working really, really hard. A huge amount of money being invested in it, and it's changing and it's getting better. And every day, the electric cars are becoming greener in that manufacturing process. And yeah, of course, we're not going to use lithium for forevermore. Um, and the way that you know cobalt cobalt is mined it is is changing so i think we've just got to instead of just writing it off just appreciate that it's getting better every day do you think it will take over or do you think just like formula one it will end up sitting next to there's a good example i've seen you spend a lot of time i'm right in saying that you have a bmw i8 tucked away um somewhere or you did have an ia which is the best of both worlds (laughs) those little things uh but now i have a very practical and very beautiful uh ix which is great fully electric oh i can't believe you got rid of the ia but do you know what and just before i had my firstborn we got the roadster which is like just just so beautiful um hard top and but obviously it's only two seats so really, when the first child arrived, it's like, I can't put you in the boot, can I? Legally, that's just not right. We Morally, just, we also have we have also just right. seen that parking tickets are an issue <laughs> where we are. How do you actually 
um, charge. How do I get so many parking tickets? Now, how do you charge the vehicles? Uh, there's um, public charging around the corner. Okay, yeah. so you just plug so, in public. Yeah, I, I tend to do it at night time. I'm, I was a complete dead against everything to do with the electric car wave from a perspective of, well, I just take it back to the, well, the grid can't cope. And if you don't solve the problem of the fact that on yeah. Christmas day, our grid's on 99.8% capacity when everybody switches on their ovens at 12 o'clock yeah. and it nearly breaks. It's like, well, then how the hell are we going to put more electric vehicles on the roads? How are we going to cope? <laughs> because like, before not you solve the initial the problems, which is true. It's, because like, I've it's noticed... like when there's a fuel crisis and then everyone goes to the petrol station. Yeah. In those situations, we're screwed. But that doesn't, you know, on a normal day to day basis, we don't all charge at the same time. The whole point of charging overnight is you charge overnight when the grid is not being used and you can set it on a little timer. It's very smart. Well, I think that might conclude our section on electric car debates because I'm done with it. But <laughs> I do. That's quite well, fascinating you know, about the air pollution that you actually generally notice in a difference in London look, from there being more electric vehicles um, on the road. But also, like, don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know where my heart is, but you, your, head, your head, your head has Gun- got to think, I want my kids to live in a planet that will exist in a couple of hundred years. And if we carry on the way we're going, it's going to be a dark old world. It's not going to be a fun place to be. Gun to your head, fun car for the weekend, BMW advocate. I'm going to offer you an M2 competition as your fun car for the rest of time, or you can have the original i8 coupe back. Which one of you choose? Well, I, I mean, obviously I would go for the M2. <laughs> <laughs> Do you yeah. see what the problem is for absolute advocates? Totally. There's still that bit where you just cannot resist. Oh, oh no, no, totally. But like, and, and I am all for that. You know, I, what it really upsets me that my kids will probably never drive an internal combustion engine car. They won't share the same passion that I do for cars because going to... You know, a Goodwood, for example, how cool is that? Goodwood Revival, when you can hear all the like 1950s, 1960s, 70s engines roaring around the track. Amazing. But um, times change. I find that interesting that you think that because we're at a point where, say, Liberty Media own F1. Um, Sky have just introduced Sky Kids for the Formula One. There's more junior viewers than ever watching mo- w- yeah. watching motorsport, per yes. se. Yet the stig- watching motorsport, watching motorsport to driving it. Do you think it's the loss of? huge programs like top gear even though there is youtube that is growing fastly that is the reason kids don't care so much about cars anymore or do you think it's because they don't hear the pop and bang of something ridiculous coming down the road it's turned into a piece of technology you know and you know when dad used to like tinker with his cars outside in the in the driveway or that would just be a part of your routine at the weekend that doesn't happen anymore you can't tinker you know okay if you're an expert perhaps but the majority of people used to be able to do a little bit of work on their car for example whereas now you can't touch it you can't even get into do you think it's the the same reason as like we don't really get excited over an iphone it's cool and it's a great bit of technology but do you think people are starting to think of electric cars especially in the sense of teslas and kind of more dailies that aren't as exotic as an i8 as more of just a well, that's just one of the tools I need to get around in life. I think so. I think I mean it, it is different, I suppose, because a lot of people I think that fall in love with cars, there is that sense of nostalgia and maybe it reminds them of like childhood memories of There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, having a, a pin-up car on your wall. You definitely had one. I definitely yeah. had one. I did. It was a Lamborghini Aventador. Even though when I drove it, I hated it. Uh, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I drove down the road in Aventador first. I know that sounds absolutely horrendous. But, um, they say I never just, meet your heroes. I just changed gear and it I was like, the gearbox is crap. <laughs> I can't hear the engine a lot. It's too wide. Like there was just so much stuff. And I was like, this is a letdown. This is, I much prefer something like a, a hurricane that's smaller. And, yeah. Just better. Best world problems. Yeah. Um, hey, you've had plenty yeah. of cool cars. So don't go at me I with that. I didn't complain though. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, I can't remember. I got got distracted. Whatever I was saying. Well, we were at the end of our electric car uh, phase, Eddie, because I did want to talk about the fact that you are one of the most influential women on our TVs in motorsport out there, and it's a shame that on podcasts, even like this here, and getting into this section, almost when you're putting together these ep- episodes, you feel the need to talk about women in motorsport, when really you'd never feel the need to want to talk about men in motorsport when yeah. coming onto mm-hmm. a podcast. But then you. <laughs> A lot. So usually, when I inter- interview um, a female that is in motorsport, they have a story to tell about something. Yeah. However, that, I don't always think that should be the case if there isn't a story to tell about something. And I've I've grown up just really enjoying a matter of different women in motorsport on all types of screens. I listed some down last night. Like I used to watch Fifth Gear with Nikki Butler Henderson, and Nikki. I re- I remember I remember Shabine <laughs> Smiths on yeah. Top Gear when she drove that van around the Nurburgring, yeah. just like being absolutely mind blown. And yeah, more recently, amazing. I got to meet Jamie Chadwick at the Formula One, also like a legend. just dominated. You got Naomi Schiff, Natalie Pinkham, mm-hmm. that are brilliant presenters on Sky F1. Is the world completely changing now and is it a lot easier than it used to be or as you said you've had a 15 20 year career in broadcasting now and partly in motorsport i'm gonna go with 15 15 i shouldn't have said that i was thinking don't say oh you said like 12 as i was saying it i was going don't say 20 (laughs) oh shit you said it (laughs) um let's try let's try and backpedal Have you noticed a change or was it, have you ever had any moments where you, where you began that you felt that being a female in motorsport has affected your career development? Um, I think the opportunity for women in motorsport right now is mega. Like, cause it was, it's so different to how it was. Um, you know, when I first, first started out, um, it was hard and you just felt like a bit of an outsider, you know, it's difficult when, 99.9% 99.9% of the people you're working with are men. And don't get me wrong, all lovely people are great teams, but it's just different. 
working on a sort of all male crew compared to having like a few girls around because we are different and that's okay and we can celebrate that you know I like how we we're constantly trying to like be on the same level which is great um and I'm all for that but at the same time I don't think we should be shy and apologetic the fact that men are men and women are women and we're different um and sometimes it's just much easier to get on with a load of women so it's really fun right now working in motorsports because honestly up and down the pit lane whatever pit lane you're in um you know particularly I think F1 are doing a great job Formula E are doing a great job um even in Goodwood where I work as well it's much more like a 50-50 split and you might not be able to see that necessarily in front of camera Perhaps they're all behind the scenes roles. But as you say, a lot of the presenters, put in reporters, some of the drivers now are coming through as females. So they are the kind of shop window. And I think that's massively helped um, inspire the next generation of girls and women to get involved in motorsport because they realise there is an opportunity for them. And, uh, you know, what's that old phrase? You know, you've got to see it to believe it. And so hopefully they're now seeing women do that role. So they want to be it. Um, and that could be anything from working in, you know, PR, marketing, events to engineer, mechanic, team principal, presenter, reporter, driver. It's like the women are coming. Well, Watch out, I damn hope they are. But then we have things like um, what's the w- women's series of was called F1 Academy or the, W Series. Well, it was. It's, yeah, it's F1 Academy now. It was W Series. Yes. But then W Series is... Sadly, W Series is no longer mainly just due to sponsorship and funding. So then that doesn't always paint the best picture because there's been some fantastic drivers. I watched a video the other day and I rarely well up or get anything over anything. I watched it three times. I genuinely had a tear in my eye, which was Jessica Hawkins in the green Aston Martin driving that F1 car. And I was just like, there, there was a moment when Latifi was absolutely crap at Williams. And there was just that little glimmer of a hint, Jamie Chadwick with that yes. kind of link there. And you thought, are we going to see Jamie it. Chadwick in a Formula One car? Are we? And question, question, because you come at it from a scientific angle mm. as well. We know from an all matter of sports that naturally men are just more slightly muscular when it comes to football. Bullies, basically, we're just slightly bigger bullies occasionally. Yeah. How do you think a female would fare even if she gave it her all and was at the top of the talent against guys in the same car? This is a really difficult question because I am not a racing driver. So it's difficult for me to say. However, my personal opinion is that when you look at the difference between men and women and you're at the top of their game, you are talking the tiniest little incremental difference can be the difference of you're at the top or the bottom you know look at how competitive it is in formula one or formula e and in every single other sport men don't compete with women and that is because we are made differently uh physically mentally like we are different and the difference that tiny tiny difference you know if you look at Um, I don't know, tennis, for example, you've got obviously the same equipment, but women don't compete against men. I mean, we basically do two thirds of what the men do in terms of, um, you know, the number of sets. And I just think to put men and women in Formula One or, or in most racing series together, I do think our physical attributes 
will play a part in the performance. So do you Why think it's then it beneficial not? to put a female in an F1 car? Or ugh, it's a tough one because I then ask the question, if that does happen yeah. and that one person has that almost huge weight of responsibility for all women that love motorsport yeah. on their shoulders, if they flopped as a driver or just the performance wasn't there, yeah. would that then axe it forever, do you think? Do you think there's almost like a critical defining moment? I did look to Williams as being the team that might have had that ability to make that happen. I definitely think you can have men and women on the same sheet in F1. It's just going to be a really hard journey to find and prepare those girls and women to make sure that they're like, not just at the top, but they're like... Super athletes. Yeah. You've got to... Yeah, you've got to be right up there. You can't just find a driver. You have to find the Lewis Hamilton of female drivers. Kind of. And that's going to take time. You know, that's going to take, which is which is what the F1 Academy are doing. You know, you're looking at 15, 16 year olds and you've got to get them in really early and give them the experience and the exposure and the practice that they need to be able to then walk into an F1 car and do a good job. Um, so it, I think it will happen. I just think it's going to take a lot of time. How do you have so much confidence to stand in front of a camera when that countdown goes five, four, three, two. And because here, if we if we fuck up, we just, you know, click the camera, come out, record again. But it's a it's a it's a different environment when you've got one take. Has that always just come naturally? Have you had to develop any skills to be able to do that? Practice. Yeah. I mean, I, I you've got to practice. I mean, it just and and you can't really practice not live so it just comes with experience and i love live tv i love hearing that countdown because it's like exhilarating it's like the start of the race um and that's what i thrive on i also do like doing a beautifully crafted um program feature that's, film yeah exactly maybe not a feature film not quite the, there yeah but you know like for five years i had a show on cnn called supercharged and it was a features program half an hour show and it was you know we'd spend a whole day maybe creating a five minute segment in the show and it was you know lots of beautiful shots and we do a really long interview that we'd edit down into three minutes and it's lovely but if i had to choose between the two live tv every time and you still managed to keep that going despite the fact that you moved into a different phase of life. And as you mentioned, yeah. and you can't quite get over, you have three children. Who am I? Literally, I like when I say my life outside, like outside, when I say my life out loud, I'm like, I have three children. Mad. I still see myself as like a 21 year old. Um, yeah. So I have three children. Wow. Um, but I also have spent quite a lot of time trying and deciding the best way to create a really like safe home environment where the kids are really happy and I can still go to work and I can still travel you know it hasn't happened overnight um but I've put a lot of time and effort in we have now she's just sort of started full-time this year well four days a week we have this amazing nanny who I know the kids are really happy with but it took a long time to get to that point um my husband you know he works but he doesn't really travel so he's around obviously to always do like pickups and um bedtimes and mornings so you know there's one of us always there with the kids and 
I 100% am a better mum for it because when I go to work, I love it. And then when I come home, I love being with the kids. You just answered. That was the question I was going to answer. Was there ever a doubt in your mind when you had your first child that it would affect your career in any way? Totally. It's, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's hard. Um, I've had to go back to work way earlier than most people would. And there's definitely been some challenges along the way. I mean, I maybe went back a little early occasionally. Um, maybe didn't do my finest work, but I felt like I had to go back to cling on to various jobs. And there with uh, the microphone. <laughs> I mean, you're not far wrong. Like you know, I I did. I I I were happy to say I pressed for three all three of my children um, when they were you know till at least six. One of them nine, and the other one twelve months old. Uh, you know, I took my bloody pump around the world. I mean, it was hysterical the things I got up to. You I took mean, the children around the world as well. Uh, I took the children around as well. Oh yeah. wow! See that bit I didn't realise. Well, well, uh, only only occasionally. No, actually, to be honest, they came to. Ed- so with my third, I did Goodwood when I was he was well, she, she was six weeks old, but um, I sort of deemed any international travel just is much safer and a much better place for them to be at home where it's safe and all their sort of home comforts rather than be like right i'm taking you around to mexico city it's like actually there yeah, they can stay at home and i'll see you in a couple of days <laughs> so what does your average month look like as a sports broadcaster um yes that's a good question usually quite mad so this month has been quite busy because we've t- had two races so this month for example Went to Mexico City for five days, had a race there, came back, uh, had about 48 hours at home. Then I had a job in Orlando. So I basically went back to where I came from and I was there for 24 hours. (laughs) Did a job there, came back, uh, spent a week with the kids. And then and also when I am at home, I'm really at home, which is quite nice. So I do then all the school drop offs, pickups, food at times you know all that stuff <laughs> basically being a mum uh so it's very much like all or nothing I feel like when I'm away I'm not really doing anything but when I'm at home I'm really at home as opposed to working every day Monday to Friday when it's just a constant state of madness um and then came back yeah had a week with the kids and then went to Saudi and then had a week sort of chilling this week just doing bits and bobs fun things like this see I've got uh, several friends and uh, kind of acquaintances, girls that I follow. There's a, a really cool girl called Abby. She's doing loads of stuff. Um, she's my age with the kind of motor racing, the bikes, that right. kind of stuff and yeah. getting into presenting. Nice. Um, I've got a friend called Grace who does a lot of presenting at kind of all sorts of car shows and creating videos and content around it. Now, I can see when I put together all the parts of your story why different skills that has enabled you to kind of get to where you've got to today and one of them is the fact that although you sit opposite with this great big grin and smile and act all lovely i can definitely see from maybe a financial background that there is a proper hard-nosed negotiator in there yeah (laughs) and where i'm going with it is those girls would love to understand (laughs) i chose not to but those girls would probably love to understand how somebody properly gets paid and gets the position to actually negotiate being on those big 
those yeah. big brand deals and the big deals. How do you manage your life? Do you have to win contracts with like Formula E to go and work with them for a certain amount of seasons? Yeah. Do you do all that yourself or do you yeah. have any kind of outside No, I help? mean, so I have an agent, um, uh, lovely Ed from Insanity, but I do find that a lot of it actually does just come from me. Ed is brilliant, you know, and I would say, as uh, you know, they are there to help open doors, but motorsport is a very small industry and you know they're mainly my contacts so it's it's like if if go to races that people will either come to me if they want me or i'll go to them and suggest oh wouldn't it be cool to do something so um i would say that having an agent is very important and like absolutely fundamental to just things like logistics and invoicing and if it was if it was down to me i mean although i am financially minded i am quite disorganized when it comes to paperwork and if it if i didn't have an agent i probably would never send an invoice out so i probably wouldn't actually get paid <laughs> so thank god for ed <laughs> so he makes sure i actually get the money i'm due um but it's your so, network that gets you the jobs it's, yeah. bu- it's building yeah, up a network yeah, and just yeah going- your network your contacts your passions um you know if you suddenly think actually i like the idea of doing that i think i am also quite entrepreneurial um I like the challenge of sort of being, it's sort of almost like being a startup industry, isn't it? You're, you're working for yourself. You know, I started my YouTube channel that was like, right, who can I pull in to help me out? Um, from videographers to editors to. And why um, would somebody that's doing very well in the world of Formula E and getting all the presenting jobs under the sun, has got three children they're trying to manage and the whole kind of life just go. I tend to find with everybody that comes on the podcast you guys are always looking for the next challenge yes or the next thing is totally. that why you would start a youtube channel what made you do it um i well so weirdly the youtube channel sort of came up it was a while ago and i don't really do so i, I had shields drives what a name um god say it for us one more time <laughs> shields drives <laughs> i think that's what it was called anyway <laughs> um no so i and i loved doing that but it took up a lot of time and energy and then the presenting stuff sort of took over and I couldn't really juggle both and so that YouTube channel has taken a back seat but what hasn't taken a back seat is electrifying.com which is another YouTube channel digital platform that I am heavily involved in with Ginny Buckley the sort of co-founder and we started it together at the beginning of COVID and it's sort of a one-stop shop for everything you need to know about electric cars and that's doing really well and I love it because I love the people I work with. And that, I would say, is also a bit of random advice for anyone that, you know, wants to get into presenting. I think, ultimately, you do need to choose and find a job that you enjoy and that you like working with. You know, there are obviously bigger channels that I have had offers from to go and work for, but I don't want to do that because I love my little... Bubble that you currently am the projects that I'm doing and the people that I'm working with and the team that I'm on and ultimately that's what's important to me and that is probably something that I've learned with age even though I'm so young still (laughs) what is the key difference between someone that is able to present a YouTube video and do multiple takes and then put that together and film to someone that presents on live TV uh well yeah live TV is quite different to a YouTube channel because you a i think youtube you're basically just talking about what you want to talk about because you're probably in charge of your own script and you're producing your own stuff and you know you are 
creating content that suits you whereas obviously live presenting I'm pretty I am presenting somebody else's show you know we have a big production meeting there's a massive running order there's loads of moving parts um you've got 10 seconds to throw to this VT i.e. a feature then you've got to come off the back of it and then you've got to throw to JJ who's down in the pit lane and he's with blah de, blah 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 and then you've got to you know go, remember you've their got names some, two people <laughs> talking in your ear like yeah be here no be there um and then you're live on the grid and then all your comms goes down so then you suddenly can't hear anyone and you've got the sort of floor manager by the camera going you're on in five and you're like oh god but I can't hear anyone so I don't know how long I've got to talk and then you just sort of wing it for a bit it's just like being really really reactive and um sometimes it goes smoothly um but you've got to be prepared for when things maybe if you do have a technical issue like sound goes down so, so explain how many people does it take to kind of run your team in formula e that put a show live how many moving parts are there Quite to put something like that out and have you learned a lot about that as well yeah, in the process of doing it's, it it's 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 amazing to be part of a big big production i think that's the other thing like when i have my youtube channel it's um you're kind of on your own doing you your own thing. Switch on two cameras yeah. and a light and, and start <laughs> and talking. Done. Whereas I love being part of a big production and having a crew and, you know, I bounce off other people's energy and working with them. Um, I mean, to do, so for example, if you split, imagine when you're watching a race, whether it's Formula e or Formula One, you've got the sort of the track cut. So i.e. when you see cars on track and you've got cameramen and women camera people um you know maybe 15 cameras 20 cameras all around the track then you've obviously got all the um in-car cameras then you've got extra gopros anyway there's a lot of people that does that stuff then you are going to separate it out into your presentation team and that is we call it the english language show but that's a completely different team and that would be maybe like a couple of presenters a couple of pundits commentator then you've got a couple of sound guys maybe three or four cameramen a couple of producers floor managers directors then production managers assistants yeah i mean it's quite a big crew and that crew <laughs> ultimately through you presenting on that show and doing a brilliant job has led you to have some opportunities that when you were that girl driving those go-karts which you probably told them when you got in to and behind the wheel of a Formula E car. Yes, that was cool. Yeah, good. I'm glad you reminded me of all these like career-defining moments. That was so cool because apart from having, I think, maybe two, uh, it was Catherine and Michaela Truzzi who had basically, they were, the form they were female Formula E drivers. I was the first female from the media to drive the Formula E car. So I... How would you angle that one? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sort of rephrase that. Um, uh, and that was awesome. We were at Donington and Virgin, as they were called at the time, very kindly gave me their car to drive and we did a feature for CNN. And it was so cool. It was amazing. It was just suddenly to be able to drive a single seater because I'd never driven like a single seater race car of that standard ever. Um, and it was a very special experience and just things like, you know, being able to hear the engine noise and hear the tire noise, because normally obviously the engine is so loud if you're in an internal question engine car. So you could just sort of hear the battery whirring and the tires on the track. And it was just a very kind of, 
not serene experience, but just very different to having done any track like compared to any other track day. And is your I'm sorry I didn't research this part, but is your dad still around? Yes, he is. So you're able to what did what would what did he think being obviously he's able to think back and think about you in his arm on a Sunday watching <clears> the Formula yeah. One. And then you're suddenly in a Formula E car. Do you enjoy, do you share those kind of moments? Yeah, we really do. And I think especially when I first got into Formula E, um, Alan Prost was one of the team owners. So I spent a lot of time interviewing him, getting to know him in the first couple of years. And I think that was, and introduced him to my dad at a couple of the races. And I think that was quite special because obviously Prost was like one of my dad's heroes and was obviously someone that we always watched together. And then suddenly I'm like working with him. It was like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> and Formula E, I know Steve in the corner. I always like to mention Steve in the corner. Hey, Steve but in the corner. One of, one of um, he's waving. Someone that Steve talks to is Jake Dennis, who has been, he was last season's yeah, Formula E world Jake. champion. Yes. Right. And yeah. he, he's driving this year as well. He is. Yeah. Andretti. So explain, well, Andretti have had a bad week where they got rejected from being into getting into Formula One, which I was really surprised about, actually. I think the FIA and F1 are kind of doing that at the minute a little bit. I'm not giving up because it would be so cool to have them in. So do you have, does Jake just dominate the Formula E series for someone that like me that is going to take your advice and I genuinely will watch a race and I will send you a photo of me sat watching a race. I appreciate that. And I will have a go and I will give some feedback. Give me the feedback. Give me the comments. what I think. Be brutal. But, you won't be able Does to he dominate Formula E like Max Verstappen dominates Formula One? <sighs> Who are you? No. No. I don't not. know. This is why you need to watch Formula E. The championship goes right down to the wire. Last weekend, <laughs> two points in it. Never before have we it? seen Max Verstappen dominance in Formula E. <laughs> no, it's great. That's why we love it. You never know who's going to win the championship until, I promise you, second to last race, Jake managed to seal it. But there were three other championship contenders in the final race weekend. And that has been the case every season apart from one. And that was in COVID, so it doesn't count. <laughs> when it was, oh, it was one earlier. But um, yeah, so no, Jake is great. But there is, abs- no, he was, he was, mm, lucky's not a right, the right word. He was very consistent in his Formula E season. And he was a very strong driver. But... The championship last year could have gone to Nick Casty. It could have gone to Mitch Evans. It was not a done deal. We see drivers usually when they're in that kind of world as well, showing all kinds of emotions. And because the media is constantly on them and what's going on, we get to see their highs, their lows. I remember seeing, and I actually felt really sorry for him at the time because I, I think he gets a hell of a lot of stick. But uh, Lance Stroll let, let a lot out, I think, last year. And you could see a lot of emotion in that driver. So it's clear to see that all drivers have highs and lows in their career and and have to kind of get through them. But looking from the outside on someone that looks to just be such a happy, grinning presenter in all forms (laughs) of motorsport, everything they do. And it's all just, has it all just been easy then? What's been one of the toughest challenges you've overcome? Wow. Um, I don't know if there's, I'm sure maybe as we're talking, something will come up because you're good at sparking my memory on things. I think it's just the, um, obviously starting out in a career that you don't know if you have a future or a place in is really hard. So I think anyone that's watching that wants to 
start this, you've really got to back yourself, which is hard. <laughs> you know, it's not that easy to put, you've got to be confident. Um, but when you are starting out in a new career where you maybe don't know many people and you don't know if you're any good, it's difficult. So it's that constant going over in your head, like, should I be doing this? Is this right? You know, you're constantly questioning yourself. And just, you know, really just over time, like with experience, you do just have to grow your own confidence and you do back yourself. And it's like, oh, okay, I did do that quite well. Okay, I did do that. Oh, okay, I didn't do that, but never mind. Let's focus on this now. I think uh, the other piece of advice I would say, sorry, I'm giving advice, which I know it's not the question, but while we're on it, is, you know, you won't get every job you go for. And like, that doesn't matter. And I used to, if I, if I didn't get a job that I'd gone for, God, it used to eat me up and I would be so angry at myself. Like, oh, why didn't I get it? Like, that's not fair. I should have got it. I'm better than them. Like, you know why? And, and actually it's like, that's such sort of bad energy. And there is just no point because you're not going to get it. It's gone to someone else and they had their own reasons. You know, who knows what those reasons are? It doesn't really matter, but it wasn't right for you. There are loads of jobs out there. It doesn't matter if you didn't get that one. So is it just There's, time that's taught you that? Um, yeah, I think so. Time, yeah, experience. Um, yeah, probably time. Just I'm a wise old lady now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, yeah, things that gone bad. I don't really know if there's anything like really I'm trying to think. Because some some people, it just seems that they can set themselves up, and especially when they're quite analytical yeah. and financially divined and definitely yeah. hard-nosed away from yeah. the smiley face, know. seem yeah. to navigate life quite well and navigate careers quite well. And that's fine. Yeah. Not everybody has to have those moments where it's like, oh, it nearly killed me. Like I didn't think I was going to get through it. But it's, I mean, that's why we I like mean, talking God, to different I, people about different stories. I just feel like... Um, every week, every day is like this. You know, you go from like... And, and it's the same like with work. It's the same with the kids. It's like I go from this moment with the kids and I'm like, oh, this is just gorgeous. This moment is heaven. This is what life is about. God, I love them so much. To I swear to God, 30 seconds later, I want to kill them. They're like, oh, my God, how can you be so annoying? And I feel like that is just sort of you just have to navigate that and just try and come out on top. <laughs> Do you get ever tied up in the numbers and viewership of the stuff that you're presenting? No. I, Do you I not don't at all? Because I, I just love what I'm doing. I, this, so this is the other thing. If there was one person watching or 10 million people watching, it wouldn't affect how I feel about production because it's all about who you're working with, the level of the production, the people, the sport, like that's what I care about. If it was a if it was a really bad production with 10 million people watching, I don't want to do it. If it's a good production with good people and one person watching, I want to do that one. And that's genuine. Nikki, it's been amazing <laughs> to talk to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this podcast and thank you for coming on Road to Success. You are fantastic. I wish you all the best with everything that you're going to be doing and hopefully <laughs> I won't we'll see the you children. again soon. <laughs> thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 39 guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details.